Uh, we've got this new series that's coming this month, and what we're really doing is wanting to talk about when God takes hold. When God takes hold of someone's life, there's usually some kind of change that's involved. You should look for it. In fact, I've been asking the question this week, what is it that actually dads do? What is it that dads do that make them dads? And I want to cover four things this morning. The first thing I reckon dads do is that they protect. There's this, this wonderful sort of protective coating that just encompasses a dad when there's kids around. I remember coming home from the hospital from each of our kids, so particularly the first one. Uh, was born and uh, they're in there for a few days. Uh, these days, it's kind of like three hours you're in the hospital as a mom, right? And then they just shuffle you out. And I still remember that very first time that the nurses said, all right, this baby is yours. You can take this baby home. <laughs> and I went, are you kidding me? We might not be responsible parents. You want me to drive this, this little bundle all the way home to our place where we're living in Blackburn? You want me to? What if I'm an irresponsible father? You know, so I remember driving home on the Eastern Freeway, literally doing 80 kilometers in the far left lane. I was almost like on the shoulder of the highway. You know, everyone, oh, whoo, yeah, wait, baby on board, you know, all the way home. There's just this, this bubble that just envelops a dad, when they become a dad, there's this protective instant. I can see it when I'm running along the track now. There's these ducks that are out now. These are probably mum ducks or maybe dad ducks. I don't know. I haven't looked at the ducks that closely. However, they come at you and they hiss and they snap. And there's this protective kind of superhuman coating, right, that comes around. And so you take this little baby home and you say, well, what about if I don't know what they do when they cry? You know, I reckon it's about the first time in a dad's life, they actually are prepared to look at a manual. You know, is there a book that comes with this? What happens if they poop? What do I do? You know, what happens if they cry all night and they do? Venergan is an amazing, amazing product out there on the... No, never, never tried that once. So that's the first thing. Dads protect. The second thing that I think dads do is that they provide. There's this sense of wanting to provide, give them something better than what you got when you were growing up. Isn't that right? But, you know, provision has to be more than just a roof and food on the table. In fact, there's a deeper kind of provision that I reckon good dads do and they give. What they, they give is they give of themselves. I'm reading a book this week called Outliers, a bestseller by a gentleman called Malcolm Gladwell. And Malcolm Gladwell quotes a sociologist who did some studies on what makes good parenting, what makes good parents, great parents, as a set aside to just other kind of parents, you know, the, the ho-hum every day. What is it that makes kids thrive and, and achieve whilst other kids might languish? And having observed 20 families intensely for hours on end, they came up with this distinction. They said, you know, the, the families that help their kids really thrive are the ones that that invest themselves in such a way that enables the kids to navigate through the course of life. They called it concerted cultivation. The idea that a parent doesn't just stand back and allow their kid to grow like, a, like a, some sort of bush in the garden, just, just naturally by itself. They actually are involved in helping to shape and to, to harness their energies in such a way that helps them navigate through the course of life. One example they gave was this. They said the parents that actually allow their kids to, to um, 
navigate their way through lives, do things like ask them questions or, or help provide a sense of confidence in them so that when they actually do something, they, they kind of know how to navigate the adult world. For example, one parent was taking their child to the doctors and on the way there, the parents said, now you come into the doctors and if you've got a question you want to ask the doctor, I want you to ask them. For instance, I want you to be thinking of a question right now. You can imagine the child going, oh, mom, oh, dad, you know. No, 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 I want you to think of a question that you could ask the doctor. You're allowed to. So they got to the doctor's surgery, and the doctor said, now is there a question you have for me? And, and, and he was prepped. So he said, actually, I've got these sort of lumps under my arm. I'm just wondering, you know, what are they? And, and the doctor took note. Said the difference between the parents who just allow their kids to, they called it natural growth. And, and those that the parents actually provided a pathway for them to actually navigate the adult world was that they, they stuck their noses in in such a way that they enabled the children, their children, to be able to navigate a course of confidence in the adult world. And so provision wasn't just a roof and food. Provision was actually sticking your nose in in such a way that it helped the kids prepare. If they saw them with a hobby, if they saw them excel in something, those kinds of parents would cultivate that. Hey, I see that you really like music. Hey, I see that you've got an interest in mechanics. And, and so the parents would wrap themselves around and actually help foster that as a way of affirming and leading and directing their kids. That's, that's the second thing I reckon good dads do. They not only, uh, they're not only there to be the kind of people that protect, but they provide as well. The third thing is simply this... They pour themselves into a young person's life. The kind of pouring, though, that's present, foremostly present, not just passively, but actively as well. Have you seen any of those dads around the, the courts of a Saturday morning? Maybe it's netball, maybe it's football, maybe it's uh, some band rehearsal, maybe whatever it is. Have you seen those chirpy dads? I'm not one of those chirpy dads, you know, I'm very passive on the sideline, you know, encouraging from quietly and all that kind of stuff. You could imagine me, couldn't you, you know? I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go stand 50 meters back. I promise this time, I promise this time, I won't, I won't. And, uh, and, and, and so there's these, these, these chirpy kind of dads that want to pour themselves in. They have to pick the right timing though, yeah? It's the right timing and there's wrong timing. But there's this sense of, I will be present with you. I will watch you. I will see you. I will cheer for you. I will be with you. Been thinking this week about my own family. Pulled out this photograph. See, on the right-hand side here, that circle, the little boy down the, the bottom there, he's my granddad on my father's side. My granddad grew up in a family where he didn't know his father. Well, he didn't know who his father was until he was about 14 years old. And then he realized they said, it's actually your uncle that you thought was your uncle, but he's actually your father. It's kind of a messy kind of family situation. In fact, here's a photograph that we have of his mother uh, uh, back there. I think this photograph was taken in Tasmania. Somewhere along the way, that little boy, when he grew up, said, I'm no longer connected with my mother. She's passed me around and she doesn't really want me. Neither did my dad, but I'm going to choose to be an Arnott. In fact, he got a deed poll done and changed his name officially to Arnott, even though on his birth certificate, the father was unknown. <laughs> and, and there was a decision that he made in his life at one stage to say, I'm going to give to my kids what I didn't have myself. And so he began to pour himself into his 
his daughter and his son. And he would pour himself in, because I know he'd do it, whenever my dad liked doing fishing, he would be the one who would tag along with the net (laughs) for hours on end. And then he would cook him food, because he was not only a cabinet maker, but he was a chef in the army. So he would cook, and, and he would just be present. And if you like, his presence spoke manifestly in his life, in my father's life. And so then what my father did, he poured that into us, and it's the same kind of thing that I want to pour out to others. This sense of, I am present with you because I'm pouring myself into you. I will be with you. I will cheer for you. I will stand with you. I will be present in your life. That is a legacy. You see, good dads, they do three things. They not only protect, they not only provide, they're present. That is, they pour themselves into younger person's life. And then there's the four things that dad do. <laughs> dad, dads, they do this. They fail. Do you know that? Dads fail. Put up your hand here if you've ever felt like you're a failed parent. Yeah, thank you. Let me put it another way. Put up your hand here if you ever think you're a failed son or daughter. You see, one of the things that dads do is they fail. They, sometimes they're too soft, sometimes they're too hard, sometimes they're too chirpy, sometimes they're not, sometimes they're too strict, sometimes they're too lax, and sometimes you get told about that enough that sometimes you think as a parent, man, I am failing on the parent front. If any of you have ever felt kind of like that, then join with me because I'm glad for one person in the Bible who experienced failure as well, and as a dad. And his name's Peter. I love the story of Peter in the Bible because on Father's Day, it reminds me that dads fail. They sometimes get it wrong. Sometimes badly wrong, sometimes slightly wrong, but sometimes wrong. (laughs) Peter's this great guy. He's one of the most charismatic figures in the entire Bible. Out of the 12 disciples, the followers of Jesus, Peter was the one that said, I'm your man. If, Jesus, if Peter had a t-shirt, it would say, Team Peter. <laughs> he was the charismatic one. He was the charismatic leader, the natural leader. He was outspoken. He was the first one to put his foot in it. But he was the first one to take action. That was Peter. Because on the night before Jesus was betrayed, he was gathered in this. Jesus gathered his 12, those most intimate people. He gathered them together. And he said, all right, men. Uh, in a short time, I'm going to actually be, de- um, I'm gonna be betrayed, and then I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be killed. And, and, and all of the men, they looked with this bravado at one another and said, who? Who's going to betray you? Who's going to betray you? And one person spoke out louder than the others. <laughs> it, was, it was Peter. And we assume that Peter was a dad because he had a mother-in-law. So we assume that he also was a father. And so here, here's this outspoken dad who actually turns to Jesus and he says, no way. This says Team Peter on the t-shirt. If anyone's going to fail you, it ain't me. I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to hang with you. I will be with you. I will cheer for you. I am your man. I will die with you. 24 hours later, after Jesus had distributed the food and shared that intimate meal with them, Peter is warming his hands by a fire as Jesus is being put on trial. And Jesus has turned to Peter before that and he said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before everyone. And Peter says, no way. 
because my T-shirt says, Team Peter. <laughs> Peter doesn't do that. Peter's your man. He's warming his hands by the fire. And someone comes to Peter and he say, they say, Hey, weren't you one of his followers? And Peter says, I have no idea what you're talking about. Someone else comes and says, Hey, I'm sure you're from Galilee. You're one of, you're one of them. And Peter says, No, I have no idea what you're talking about. Third time, someone says, no, I'm sure you are with Jesus, this man that's on trial right now. And Peter, he swears and he curses and he says, I don't know this man. And right at that moment, Jesus was within eyesight. He turns to Peter and he looks at him. That's all he had to do. And Peter, realizing what he had just done, the huge mistake he had just made, willfully, he runs out into the night in the dark of it and he weeps and weeps, it says, bitterly. A failed dad. Some weeks later, you pick up this story in John's Gospel, the one who wrote about Jesus in chapter 21, and it says that Jesus has appeared three times, a third time. And, and, and the disciples have gone back up to Galilee, and there's Peter with bravado saying, hey, how about we go fishing? We're just hanging around waiting here. Let's go fishing. And so they're out fishing. They're bringing the boat in, have caught nothing at nighttime. And someone sees a lonely, solitary figure on the beach. And the lonely, solitary figure, they don't know is Jesus. But then the person on the shore says, hey, why don't you throw your nets over the side? And these fishermen are going, man, we have been fishing all night. Go on, throw them out over the side. And so they do. And they pull in this huge haul and the penny drops. Wait a second. This happened a few years ago too. <laughs> For blokes, it can take a little longer. This happened a few years ago. When Jesus said, put your nets over the side, and we caught, and, and Peter goes, it couldn't be. And the disciples said, it's the Lord, it's him. And so Peter launches himself out, and he wades through the water, and he comes up to Jesus, and there's Jesus, and this is a setup. Jesus has got a fire, and he's distributing food that he's been making for them. And so this is the smell of failure. The last time Jesus was with Peter and smoke and fire was when Peter was denying Jesus in the courtyard those weeks ago. Have you ever had a smell that's triggered off an emotion, a feeling, a thought, uh, we're back here again? Well, this is it for Peter. His failure moment. He gets in there, all ashamed, all feeling awkward. I mean, he has made a big mistake. And after the meal... Jesus takes him for a little one-on-one -on -one walk. And he says these words. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Then Jesus turns to him and he says, I want you to feed my lambs. Second time, they're walking along the beach and Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time, bon bon, ouch, ouch. Confrontation had to come. He said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Right back in that place of failure, right back in that place of 
of unwanted regret and, and, and remorse and bitterness. And, and he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know that I failed you. You know that I didn't keep my word. You know that I didn't do what I said or say what I did, you know. You know that I didn't do that. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, dads, I'm not calling our kids sheep here, but they need leading. They're not our friends. We're their parents. Friendship can come later. But I tell you this, what dads do is they fail. You see, when someone comes to know Jesus, it's not as though you've got it all together once off. If there's anything that's the heart of the Christian faith, it's this, it's change. And change comes through repentance that's real. I blew it. I own up. This is my stuff. And secondly, it comes from when someone offers forgiveness and says, I will put you back into the game. There would have been enough people right here that having seen Peter's monumental failure that would have said, he is disqualified from being in the game. And Jesus turns to him and says, no, no, I saw your tears. I saw your brokenness. I know what you said and you didn't do it. Now feed my sheep. You see, what Peter was learning to do was that through his failure, he was learning to follow through. And when he can follow it through, he can pass on a legacy that can have profound effect not only on his children, but his children's children, children. Because at the heart of following Jesus is change that's real. Feed my sheep. Says straight after this, Truly I tell you, Peter, says Jesus, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. You see, dads, not only must they protect, not only must they provide, not only must they be present, but they must do what they say, and they must say what they do. They need to have this sense of consistency and of follow through so they can pass something on that's of great value to their kids and their kids' kids and their kids' kids' kids. Do you know what I mean? If there's four things that dads do, one of them is fail. But Jesus said, get back in the game. Get back in the game. Lead well, tend well, follow well do it. You see, we live in a culture these days that says simply this. We minimize our mistakes and, and, and we actually strive for perfection. Now, if that doesn't send a mixed message, I don't know what does. We actually say, no, 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 your mistakes aren't your mistakes. They're just an opportunity for you to do better next time. <laughs> but at the same time, we have this scale that says, dad, you've got to be perfect. And I want to say to you today, dads, you can't be perfect, but what you can do is that when you fail, you can pick yourself up again, and what you can do is I will determine to follow through with God's help because I want to pass on something to my kids and my kids' kids and my kids' kids' kids. I want to leave a legacy. You see, what we're going to unpack this entire month is this profound, simple truth, is that at the heart of the Christian life, following Jesus is change. And it's not change that dads can do all by themselves. It actually has to be manufactured, if you like, or inspired or encouraged or blown along by the seed of God's Spirit. 
Straight after that time, Jesus says, wait for empowerment. And in the book of Acts chapter 1, this is what it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you like, God was saying, you cannot do the Jesus thing by yourself. I want to say here to dads this morning, we cannot do the dad thing just by ourselves. We need a community of other people. And we need an empowering present God. Do you believe me? Because that's what it takes. I wonder if you're here this morning and, and, and the pr- provision, the protection, the pouring in, but you're sitting here this morning and you're going, you know what? I don't do what I say and I don't say what I do. I, there's some inconsistency there. I fail. But God's calling you and saying, I want you to follow through. I want you to pass it on. Because the legacy you're leaving can have an effect for generations and generations and generations to come. Band's going to come and they're going to finish with a worship song this morning. But as they do, I wonder where you sit with asking yourself, no matter where you are, no matter kind of what stage of life you're in, you're maybe not a parent yet, Maybe your kids are older and they've got kids of their own. There's one thing I'm discovering along the way is parenting doesn't stop. I think it keeps going like forever. And God says, you know what? Good dads. They provide. They pour. They protect. But if you let me work in your life, I want to do some changing so that you're better at doing what you say you will do and saying what you do to follow through, to leave a legacy. Because when God takes hold of someone's life, it's not as though he blinks the finger, snaps the fingers and it's all done. What it requires sometimes is some weeping and some bitter tears. Yeah, that's me. I fess up. That's me. I own my stuff. But now, God, would you work in me? Because I find I can't change anyone else and it's hard enough to change myself. Would you help me? And then get accountable to someone else. There's my stuff. Dads, I want to encourage us this morning. So let me leave you with this. What kind of legacy do you want to pass on? This week, this week, I dare you to ask that question and seriously set aside an hour. Just put it down on a piece of paper. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? I want to pass on my faith. I want to pass on compassion I want to pass on good, healthy risk-taking. I'm going to pack up our stuff. I heard Wes this morning. I'm going to pack up our stuff, sell the house. We're going to go to Sotheby's. Pray about it first. Get some wisdom along the way. You dads, we don't know how powerful we are to shape for good. And then go ahead and watch We Bought a Zoo. A dad who got it wrong, is trying hard, 
failed. But then because it's Hollywood, it turned out really good. With God's the best is yet to come. Do you believe that? If you're here this morning, you're a single parent, don't know your circumstances entirely. That's what this community is about. Cheering you on when you're doing it hard alone. Don't do it alone. Do it with us. You're welcome here. I'm going to pray. Then Lindy's going to lead. If you'd like to join with me. God, we fail. We fail. But you want to teach us to follow through. We ask that you might help us to follow through on the things you're speaking to us about today. Not only that we might provide, that we might protect, that we might pour, but as well, we might learn to follow through. To do what we say, we will. Say what we do. That we might pass on a legacy. And we're asking for that change to be motivated from you. In Jesus' name. Amen.